All right, let's open with a word of prayer. You can turn your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 4, continue where we left off uh, two weeks ago. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you, Lord, as we go to your word right now. Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Lord, give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us. And Lord, we just love the pictures of your Son throughout this chapter that we see over and over again. And what a privilege it is, what a blessing it is that we can have intimate fellowship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that our lives can have peace because we know the Prince of Peace, that, Lord, we can live lives filled with joy because, Lord, we know you and you're in control and you're a faithful God. And we have the promise of eternal life. So, Lord, I ask right now that man would decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So if you were here two weeks ago, last, last Thursday, it's one of the few times we don't actually have church because it was Thanksgiving. Hope you had a wonderful time. We've got, we've got a lot to be thankful for. Amen? So last time I talked about there's joy in the house of the Lord. And the reason that there is, is God is in control. That we're just tools in the hands of the master. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And in him there is strength. Now remember that Chronicles was written at a time when the children of Israel who had been in bondage in Babylon for 70 years are returning to Jerusalem, returning to Israel, but specifically to Jerusalem. And many of them have been gone, they've been gone so long, they don't know the history of the place they're going back to. So first and second Chronicles were written to those people to educate them so they would understand what, it, what it, you know, God's heart was for Israel and what God's plan was for Israel and the history of Israel. And I think as believers, we too lose sight of the history of all that God has done for us. We need to be reminded, and that's why we need to be in the Word every day. And so the first Chronicles is really the life of King David. There was a lot more to it than that, but he was the main focus. And then as we get to Second Chronicles, at the end of First Chronicles, David dies, and Solomon, his son, takes over. And the greatest accomplishment of Solomon's life, even though he was a man who God led, asked me for what you want. He asked for wisdom and God made him the wisest man on earth. We know that God used him to write Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and the Song of Solomon. And so certainly those are a part of the greatest accomplishments in his life. But the other one was the rebuilding of the temple. And if you were here in chapters one, two, and three, that's really what it's been about. Now remember, King David was not allowed to rebuild the temple because King David was a man of war. And God did not want a man of war to build his temple, so he said, I'm going to allow your son to do it. And so what did David do? He got everything ready, and he left it for Solomon. And as his parting words to Solomon, he didn't talk to him about how to be a great warrior. He didn't talk to him about even how to be a great king necessarily, as much as he talked to him and encouraged him about building the temple. Now, why is that so important? And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Why was the temple so important? Well, because in those days, the only way they could have intimate fellowship with God was through the temple and through the sacrificial system. The Jews of the old covenant, everything was based on the sacrificial system. And what's amazing about it is, it's, if we could go into depth, and we will as we go through the text, how many sacrifices they really made. There were daily sacrifices, there were weekly sacrifices, there were uh, annual feasts and things that they had, had where they would enter into God's presence. And every single time they drew near to God, it required a sacrifice. They could not draw near to God without a sacrifice. And the same is true for us today. Without the sacrifice of our Savior, Jesus Christ upon the cross of Calvary, we would have never been able to draw near to our Heavenly Father. Amen? And so if you have your outline, grab it. I tell the message, what can wash away our sins? And point number one, there's no access to God's presence without sacrifice. Uh, the bronze altar, as we get to the temple, the bronze altar was much smaller in the tabernacle, and now it's going to be massive. It's going to be the size of a swimming pool. And when they look at this altar, it's the first thing they see when you walked into the outer court, you couldn't miss it. And it was a constant reminder that there needed to be a sacrifice before they could draw near to God, that it was unavoidable, there was no other way. And you know what? Today we've lost sight of that. When I talked to Jewish people, when we were at the synagogue, I used to talk to Rabbi Ron, I went to lunch with him a few times, and I would, I would always ask him, so you guys don't have the temple, so how the heck are you fulfilling 
the, the Jewish law. What are you doing? Well, you know, we can't. I said, exactly. And you can't draw near without a sacrifice. So what's the sacrifice? Well, we just believe in doing good work. See, everybody wants to look for another way besides a sacrifice. The truth is you cannot come near the Father apart from the shed blood of the Lamb of God. Amen? And so because they don't have the temple anymore, they've chose to try to figure out another way. And the truth is they've walked away from God and they're spiritually blind and they need to be saved. Amen? Now, we love the Jewish people. This is a Jewish book about a Jewish Savior. And I'm not talking about individuals. I'm talking about Israel and the Jewish people in general. And so we need sacrifice. We have, there's no access to God apart from sacrifice. Number two, no one can approach the Lord without first being made clean. Now, we're all sinners saved by grace. How many sinners we got in the room? Okay, so we're all sinners saved by grace. Sin, again, as you know, is an archery term. The distance between the bullseye and where the arrow lands, we're all separated from God. Some of us further away than others, but the reality is that God can't allow one sin in heaven, or he's got earth part two. And maybe you can jump higher than me, but if we're both trying to reach the moon, none of us are getting close, amen? And so the reality is that there's a separation and because we've been separated, the only thing that can make us holy and cleanse us so we can be in the presence of a holy God is we must first be cleansed. Well, the sacrifice is what cleanses us. So no one can approach the Lord without first being made clean. Sacrifice plus cleansing. Jesus' blood was shed that we might be made clean. Number three, only those that walk in the light have fellowship with the Lord. The Bible is clear that the world walks in darkness. All you have to do is look at the election a couple of weeks ago to figure out just where we are, where we're voting to kill babies up to 28 days after they're born, where we're making conscious choices to do things that are so perverted and so contrary to the word of God, and people are voting for it because they are walking in darkness. They are spiritually blind. For us to have a relationship with the Lord, for us to walk in the light, only those that walk in the light have fellowship with the Lord. Jesus is the light of the world. Amen? He is the reason. He's the only hope. He's the only way to heaven. And there's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. And we must not be ashamed of his name. And I'm tired of Christians even trying, being fearful of using his name. They'll say, well, I'm not a Christian. I'm just a believer. I'm a follower. I'm a, look, I'm a Christian. I love having my name linked to his name. How about you? We're followers of Jesus Christ. We must not be ashamed of the gospel. He's the light of the world. He's the only way we can have peace. The only way we know that our lives make sense. I can't imagine living right now without Jesus. Can you even imagine what it would be like right now? Everybody's scared to death of the next pandemic that's coming. They're afraid of, of you know, what's happening with the economy. And I get it. We need to vote biblically. But the reality is we have nothing to fear because our God is in control. Amen. We can trust him. In him, all the people of God have direct access to the Father. See, here's the other thing. When, when we're going through trials, we never have to go through it alone. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. So whatever's happening in the world around us, we can always look to our Heavenly Father. We, can, you know, we pray to the, Son, the Father in the name of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. Fourthly, may we always give God our absolute best. Do everything with excellence and for his glory and finish what we start strong. Guys, we have this vapor of time and I talk about this a lot, I know, because it's something that's the older I get, the more of an urgency I have. That, you know, I, I, I brought it in one time back at the community center. I don't know where it is anymore, but I had a rope somebody brought me that was a hundred feet long and, and we colored this much of it red. And I said, this is our life and that's eternity. And now that I'm about to turn 60, this is my life, <laughs> right? So the amount of time I've got is getting less and less, and eternity is not, going, is not getting any less, amen? And so we have all this time that we're going to spend eternity with Almighty God, and we only have this vapor of time to be about it for the kingdom of God and for his glory. And my prayer is that we would not, you know, Alan Redpath once said, you can have a saved soul and a wasted life. 
And I don't want to have a saved soul in a wasted life. I don't want to live a life where I'm saved, but as by fire, right? Where you get into heaven with your tail smoking, amen? I don't want to be so close to the world that I barely make it into heaven, right? We want to live in such a way that we bring glory and honor to his name. And then finally, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Instead of thinking how much we can, uh, how much we give to the Lord. People will talk about how much are you giving to the Lord. I don't really think about how much I give to the Lord. I think about how much he's done for me. And then that makes me want to give him everything. Amen. People, I had, a, I had a guy one time, my dad was a pastor of a Baptist church and he was showing my dad his little, he had a little booklet that he kept, how much money he gave to the Lord. And he would show it to my, look how much money I'm giving to the Lord. Look how much money I'm giving to the Lord. The Bible tells us not to let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. Amen. That when we give, we don't, you know, we don't prop ourselves up in what we give. We're just giving him back a portion of what he's already given us. And my prayer is instead of thinking about how much we give the Lord, think about how much he's done for us. And I put the bottom of the outline there. One drop of Jesus' blood washed away all the need, washed away the need for all the old covenant sacrifices. And that's what we're going to see tonight. We're going to be looking at the furnishings. We're going to look at Solomon. So the, the the, the outward portion of the building has been talked about. It's being put into place. And now that the building is in place, they're going to come bring the furnishings in so they now can start to worship the Lord and to make sacrifices. Let's begin there in verse 1 of Second Chronicles chapter 4. And it says there, first we're going to look at there's no access to God's presence without sacrifice. Moreover, he made a bronze altar. 20 cubits was its length. 20 cubits was its width, and 10 cubits was its height. Now, the bronze altar that we saw in the tabernacle was about the size for a grown man to lay down on it, and it had four points where they would take the animal, and they would sprinkle the blood on the four points, and it was about the size of, of me laying down. Well, 20 cubits, we know, when it talks about 20 cubits, a cubit is a distance between your elbow and the top of your forefinger, so it was never exact, but roughly a, a foot and a half. So now it's 30 feet by 30 feet, and it's 15 feet off the ground. That's a lot bigger altar than something. That's like a, a pretty good-sized swimming pool, right? Well, now that's the altar. Now here's the deal. Now that they're in the temple, and it's a permanent place, and it's not going to be packed up and moved anymore, in the midst of that permanence, there's going to be sacrifices ongoing all the time. And to accommodate that, they got the biggest barbecue going. I mean, you could put some tri-tip on that thing. They got barbecue going, right? So here they, they would come in. So imagine, we're going to talk about this later. When you would come into the outer court of the temple, I should have redid the, if you had last week's notes, I had the, taber, the tabernacle or the temple on the back of it. But as you come into the outer court, it was a very large area, and right there, the first thing that would just grab your attention was the bronze altar. And from it, you would smell that sweet-smelling aroma of the sacrifices that were taking place. But you'd also see the blood that was flowing from it as well. So these sacrifices were being made, and what they understood, before we could get closer to the holy place, we had to go by the altar, for the priest who was going to get to go into the Holy of Holies, he had to get through the altar and by the, by the bronze laver, and then he had to walk in through the, the veil, through, through the first place, and then he'd go into the holy place, and he would see the golden lampstand and the table of showbread and then the altar of incense, and then behind that was the veil, and then through that veil was the Holy of Holies. But before they could get anywhere, they had to go by the place of sacrifice. And before you and I can have any kind of a relationship with the Lord, there must first be a sacrifice made for your sins. Amen? And so for us, we know what that sacrifice is. It's Jesus Christ's death on the cross. Amen? Now, we have people today that call themselves Christians who or have gotten so far away from Christ that they'll even say, well, you know, there's many paths to God. There's many altars. No, there aren't. There's one. Amen? There's many false paths that lead you away from God. There's many that teach that you don't have to have your sin paid for, that Jesus didn't have to die on the cross, and that's a lie. And so if we try to get to God any other way but through the shed blood of our Savior, without his sacrifice, without his death on the cross, we cannot come near to God. 
We cannot approach him with the, without the redeeming redemption of a blood sacrifice. See, in the old covenant, what's so different, I want to really focus on this tonight. This is really my heart. The old covenant covered their sin for a period of time, bringing it to, forward to the coming Messiah. So every sacrifice they made, I mean, burnt offerings every day, sin offerings, peace offerings, all these offerings that they did day after day, blood was shed everywhere, and all of it was just covering their sin to the coming Messiah. Here's the good news about the new covenant. It's not covering our sin until the Messiah comes. It's cleansing our sin forever because the Messiah came. Amen? It's washed it all away. It is finished. It's paid in full. We're not dragging lambs in here on Sunday. Amen? And we don't need to. And so we can be close to God because he ripped the veil open and now we can enter into that holy of holies. It doesn't have to be just the high priest on the day of atonement on Yom Kippur. It's us anywhere and anytime. And we are the most blessed people who've ever lived on this planet because we have the completed revelation of God's word. We're closer than ever to his return. And guess what? We don't have to wait for anything else to happen for Jesus Christ to come back. Amen? So we are the most blessed of all people. And we get to be near unto him because he died for us. Hebrews 10.4 says, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. Again, in the old covenant, why are they making all these sacrifices? The temple was such a bloody place. Because while they couldn't redeem them, it was the one that would point to the one who would. The old covenant, again, were acts of obedience pointing to the one who would one day come and wash away their sins. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but what? Blood of Jesus. The temple was a bloody place. Sacrifices were being made constantly. And the Jews in Israel understood they could not approach God without a sacrifice, without the shedding of blood. No one would ever think to come to the Passover or come to any of the major feasts without a sacrifice. They wouldn't even think about it. They would drag a lamb from 500 miles away with them. They'd find a perfect one, and or they'd bring enough money to purchase one so they could make the sacrifice. They wouldn't even think about trying to come near to God without the sacrifice. But we have people today that think they can come near to the true and living God apart from the Son. And that's not true. And that's impossible. Amen? Most see no need for a sacrifice. They can believe they can approach God their own way. They see no work of need for a work of redemption that can only come through the shed blood of a perfect sacrifice. See, the, tent, the temple is a picture of heaven, and we cannot enter heaven without a sacrifice. Amen? He says to David, he gave him the, the blueprints for the temple, and he said, this is a picture of heaven. And so we can't, they couldn't enter into the temple without a sacrifice. They could not draw near to the holy place without a sacrifice. And you and I cannot go to heaven apart from the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. See, the people of Israel today, sadly, are lost and blind and no longer see the need for a sacrifice. They reject Jesus as the one and only true Messiah, and they will be fooled by the Antichrist. The Antichrist is coming. We talked about this on Sunday. The word Antichrist can mean the opposite of, but also in place of. And the temple is going to be rebuilt during the Great Tribulation. And once it's rebuilt, this man will draw them all into himself. will have a false prophet that draws all the world's religions together. And then three and a half years in, they're going to be duped because he's going to proclaim himself to be God. And then they're going to realize that they followed the false Messiah. The Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, among others, reject Jesus, and they see no redemption in his sacrifice. Sadly, many today who would call themselves Christians say, think good works or sincere faith in anything will, will save them. They're open and affirming, but in opening, being open and affirming to sinful behavior, they're rejecting Jesus Christ. Amen? And they're denying his word. Sadly, many who would call themselves Christians, again, think that good works or being religious or going to church, or keeping rituals and praying and with vain repetition can save them, but there's no way to get to heaven other than through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary and a repentant heart. Amen? There's no other way. There's no other hope. There's no other truth. There's no other life. And so he says there, we have, a, they have made that bronze altar. Well, we have an altar too today, and I've set it up 10 times already, but our altar is the cross. 
See, without the cross, we don't get near unto the Lord. I see I, with my, my uh, son and my daughter-in-law, my wife and I were out, family tradition, we did a lot in Santa Cruz, you go find a place and cut down your own Christmas tree, right? It's just something we've always done. And the guy that was helping us had a cross around his neck. So every time I see a cross around somebody's neck, I always ask him something. I always say, so does that have special meaning to you, that cross hanging around your neck? I had a gal not long ago say, oh, I like it because it matches my earrings. I'm like, that's just sad, but it's an opportunity for the gospel, amen? But the young man said, oh, it means everything to me because my Savior died on the cross so that I could go to heaven. I'm like, amen, 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 and amen. And he got a big tip, by the way. And I love hugging on that guy. You know what I mean? And you know, you're hugging, because guys, we have Jesus in common. We have everything in common. He is the answer, Amen. He's the reason we live and move and breathe. He's what it's all about. And may we never be ashamed of the gospel. See, here's what happens. When you see no need for a sacrifice, you start to downplay sin as being significant. You know, the closer I get to the Lord, the more I'm grieved about the sin in my life. Can I get an amen to that? Paul said, I'm the least of the apostles early on in his walk. And then the last thing he said is, I'm, I'm the chief of sinners. Now, was he sinning more or sinning less? I think he was sinning a lot less, but he recognized and hated his sin more the closer he got to the Lord than he ever did. And I feel like I'm closer to God today than I've ever been in my life, and I grieve more about my sin than I ever have. Why? Because I hate it, and I love the Lord, and it breaks my heart. Just even the, And so here's what happens. You start to Turn, change sinful words into things that make it more acceptable. Homosexuality becomes a gay lifestyle. By the way, gay means happy, not so much anymore. Fornication is living together or hooking up. Adultery is an affair, you know, like a catered affair, right? Lying is stretching the truth. Gossip is story time. Hatred and vengeance are standing up for yourself, and pride and narcissism is self-love. See, we're taking sinful words and trying to turn them into things that make it sound like it's not sin. And the reality is that every person on this planet already knows deep down that they're a sinner in need of a savior, but we need to remind them of the hope that lies within us and that there is an answer and his name is Jesus Christ. As sin is lessened in the eyes of the world, so is the need for a sacrifice, redemption, and forgiveness. You cannot have a relationship with God apart from the sacrifice. And that bronze altar was a constant reminder of the high price of sin, and there was no access to God without sacrifice. That's point number one. There's no access to God without sacrifice. Verses two to six, no one can approach the Lord without first being made clean. He says there in verse two to six, then he made the sea of cast bronze, 10 cubits from one brim to the other. So it's about 15 feet. It's completely round. Its height was five cubits, about seven and a half feet tall. And a line of 30 cubits measured its circum circumference. And under it was the likeness of oxen circling all around, 10 uh, to a cubit. All the way around the sea, and the oxen were cast in two rows when it was cast. It stood 12 oxen, three, four, three toward the north, three looking toward the west, three looking toward the south, three looking toward the east. And the sea was set upon them, and all of their uh, back parts pointed inward. So here's what it is. As you would come down from the altar where all that blood had been shed, often what would happen is that uh, we'll see later, they had a place to cleanse the sacrifice before they put it on the altar. And then once they came down from the altar, they were covered in blood and at least their hands and they had blood on them. So they would go to this, they called it a scene. It's a bronze laver and, it, and you could look into it and you would see your own reflection and you would see the blood on your hands and they would take their hands every, and they would cleanse themselves in it. So they would first shed the blood, the sacrifice that needed to be made, and then they would go and they would cleanse themselves. And it says the sea that it's like a, a, you know, like a big basin made out of brass. It's big, it's heavy. Again, it's 15 feet by seven and a half feet. And underneath it, it was laid on top of these uh, statues, if you will, for lack of a better word, of oxen. And there were 12 of them. And so like the, the weight 
of the cleansing, the thing that cleansed them was placed upon these 12 oxen. And some have said that could be a picture of the 12 tribes of Israel. Others have said it could be the 12 apostles because they were the ones bringing the truth and carrying the truth of the fact that we all can be cleansed through Jesus Christ. Now, it says in verse 5, it was a handbreadth thick. So, it was this thick, the bronze all around it. So this sea, this, this big laver was heavy. It was made of bronze. It was 15 feet, seven and a half feet tall, and it was thick. And so it was something sturdy that once they came down from the altar, the altar itself was so high, it had a ramp uh, and they would walk up this ramp and then they would make the sacrifice. They would come back down and they would walk across the courtyard there and they would cleanse themselves. So the sacrifice is done and what the end result of being sacrificed is that we've now been cleansed from the blood, uh, the, the, the sin in our lives through the shed blood of our Savior. So the priests would use it to cleanse their hands, their feet, perhaps also to supply water to the, there's going to be basins where they rinsed off all the sacrifices along the way. And it was a large pool that was set on these sculpted oxen, again, for the rinsing of offerings. Then it says there in verse six, so well, first it says that it's a, verse five, but it's a hand breath thick and its brim was shaped like the brim of a cup, like a lily blossom. It contained 3,000 baths. Well, if you want to know how much water that is, I looked it up. A bath's 5.8 gallons, so it's 17,400 gallons. There's a lot of water in there. You know why there's a lot of water in there? Because there's a lot of cleansing that needs to be done. Amen? Here's the good news. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. That God's grace is sufficient no matter how much sin has been in our lives. We haven't sinned so much that we can't be cleansed if we have been, if we have surrendered our lives to the Lord. If we've been redeemed, he will wash us head to toe. Now, here's what doesn't cleanse you. Going to church. Should we go to church? What's the answer? You're here on Thursday night and you know it was going to be warm and you came anyway. God bless you guys, okay? But reading your Bible, should you read your Bible? Absolutely. But, but that in and of itself, does that cleanse you? The answer is no. Uh, doing good works, helping your neighbor, loving people, paying your taxes. These are all good things, things we should do. None of those things by themselves will cleanse us. If anything, they're fruit of the fact that we've been cleansed. Amen? Because once we're cleansed, we want to be in fellowship. I love going to church. I love being, you know, my wife, my wife and my sons asked me some years back, they're like, dad, if you had an hour left on the planet, what would you do? I'm doing it. I would do this. Why? Because this is eternal stuff taking place. Amen? And when we get to heaven, then we can hang out with our family forever. Amen? We'll never have to say goodbye again. Nobody ever gets sick. We'll get to see Jesus face to face. It's going to be glorious. Amen? But until then, we want to live our lives in a way that will impact eternity. It says there in verse 6, he also made 10 lavers and put five on the right side and five on the left to wash in them such things as they offered for the burnt offerings. And they would wash in them, but the sea was for the priests to wash in. So the priests themselves would cleanse themselves in that sea, but they would take some of that water and where there once was one laver, now there's 10. And so in the temple that is much larger than the tabernacle, there's 10 of these places where they could go and they could cleanse the animals and prepare them for sacrifice or cleanse them, you know, cleanse the blood. And again, what it's showing you is that the sacrifices were ongoing and nonstop because all they were doing was covering sin, pointing to the coming Messiah. But when Jesus died on the cross, he says it, said it is finished and we do not have to do it anymore. More. In the tabernacle, there was one laver. In the temple, there's a brass sea and 10 lavers because there was so much cleansing that needed to be done. So point number two, no one can approach the Lord without first being made clean. Sacrifice plus cleansing. Jesus' blood was shed that we might be made clean. Now verse seven to 10, only those that walk in the light can have fellowship with the Lord. Now, if you do not 
have a relationship with Jesus, if you have not been born again, you do not have a relationship with Almighty God. Amen? If you pray and you don't know the Lord other than the prayer of repentance, God does not hear you. Now, can God hear everything? What's the answer? But God can choose not to listen. Can I get an amen to that? Because we, we pray to the Father in the name of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. And the only way we can get to the Father is through the Son because we cannot be in His presence apart from the redeeming work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Now, I got people mad at me when I was in Israel. We'd go to Israel. I went four times to our church in Santa Cruz. And we would go and we'd have Jewish um, you know, uh, guides. And they were all believers. But they'd say, well, you want to go pray at the Wailing Wall? And I go, why would I want to do that? Well, don't you want to go to the Wailing Wall? That's, I go, okay. so they're praying at a wall that's the closest place to where the, to where the uh, temple would have had the Ark of the Covenant many years ago. And the Ark's not even there, but they're going to a wall and praying at a wall that's near to where the Ark of the Covenant was that we don't need anymore because Jesus died on the cross. Amen. So why would I go down there and put little papers? And I said, by the way, God's not hearing the prayers of any of those people that don't know the Lord. And people's heads started to explode. But they're down there. They're so devout. If you're devout and you're yelling down a well, nobody hears you. Can I get an amen to that? Now, Israel's still God's chosen people. God's not done with them. And I do believe before it's over, we're going to see a great revival amongst the children of Israel. We know there's going to be 144,000 saved for sure, and they're going to be spreading the gospel during the great tribulation. Amen? So we love all people, but our point I'm making is, the Bible says to have no false idols. If you're praying to a wall, something's wrong. Can I get an amen to that? We don't pray to walls. Amen? We don't try to get as close to where the, the ark used to be 2,000 years ago when Jesus took the, took the place of the ark. Amen? You don't have to go to the ark anymore. You don't have to go through the veil to the Holy of Holies. We, we are the Holy of Holies. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives inside of us. Amen? I'd be better off looking in the mirror and praying to the Holy Spirit that lives inside of me than praying at a wall. Can I get an end of that? Don't pray to yourself, though. Stop it. Don't do that. So the tabernacle, as we're going to see here, it says in verse 7, it says that, and he made 10 lampstands of gold according to their design and set them on the temple, five on the right side and five on the left. Now, how many golden lampstands were there in the tabernacle? Who knows? How many? It's not a trick question. How many were there? One. But now there's going to be 10. So what's happening is that now that they're at the, the temple, the light into the world is growing. There's more light. Praise God for that. Amen? And so the truth is that, that before, as they were wandering through the wilderness, and it was only them, and now the nation is growing, and as other people would come from foreign lands, that there was a, a greater light that was being shined into a lost and a dying world. And so they would build 10 golden lampstands. So in the tabernacle, one lampstand. In the temple, 10. Greater light, because Jesus is the light of the world. All others walk in darkness. Again, people spiritually don't get it if they don't have Jesus. Amen? You've heard me say it. I, one of my least favorite words is when people tell me they're spiritual. I'm really spiritual. What does that mean? Well, you know, I just, I just, I'm, I just sense the Spirit. I just, I just sense the Spirit. My neighbor across the street came over to tell me, if you and your wife would ever like to talk to your son, I can channel him for you. And I'm like, yeah, I think we're good. I think we're going to need that. I know exactly where my son is. He's not lost. And anything you would channel would not be him. And anybody that would come through you, I don't want to talk to. Can I get an amen to that? And by the way, Jesus loves you, and so do we. Amen? So there were 10 lampstands because we that know the Lord are walking in the light. Now, we're not arrogant. We're not self-righteous. We're not better than anybody else. We're one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. But we're no longer blind anymore. How many of you guys have ever gotten to a really dark place and had to walk through it? How's that working out? 
Your, you get to the other end, your shin's got 14 bumps on it, right? My parents lived in, a, Tim's been there, in the Santa Cruz Mountains, and there were no streetlights anywhere. And a couple times, my friends would be in a hurry, and they'd drop me up the bottom of the hill. And it was about, I don't know, a quarter of a mile up to my parents' house, maybe a little further, but you had to go down three different streets, and you'd be walking. It was pitch black. Couldn't see my hand in front of my face. And you didn't have cell phones back then with your little handy lights, lights on them either. <laughs> and every once in a while, you'd come around a corner and somebody have a little porch light on 100 yards away, and all of a sudden, that would be enough light for you to walk toward it. See, the world is walking in darkness, and God has called, not only is Jesus the light of the world, but he says, we are the light of the world. We are called to be that light that when people are in darkness, that they see there's something different in us. And we're the ones that can point them to the truth. And so the world shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God because they're walking in darkness and they're just falling down and bumping into walls. Why? Because they don't have any light. Guys, we are the light of the world. And so as they built a temple, they multiplied the light. And also not only the 10 lampstands, look what it says in verse 8. And they made 10 tables and placed them in the temple, five on the right side and five on the left side. And he made 100 bowls of gold. So if you remember that when you walked into the tabernacle, you had the golden lampstand, and then you had the table of showbread. And each table had 12 loaves of bread on it. And it represented God's provision for the 12 tribes. And the priests themselves would feed on them as they would change them out day by day, put fresh loaves on every day. Well, now... There's 10 tables. So there's 10 times as much light, and there's 10 times as much bread. But eating the bread also represented not only just feeding on the Lord and He's the bread of life, but also fellowship. You know, when you see in the book of Acts, it talks about the early church. There were four things that they did in the early church the apostles' doctrine, which is the word of God, the breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayer. Breaking of bread speaks both of agape, feast, and communion. We're having both on Sunday, by the way. I'm glad I remember that. I've been in trouble with my wife when I got home. She watched on live stream. You didn't announce the agape feast. We have agape feast this Sunday. But the point is, is there's something in their culture, and I think in our culture today, that, that is special about sitting down and having a meal with somebody. Amen? It's, a, it's just a next level of fellowship, right? What if you had Thanksgiving, you showed up, and there was no food? That wouldn't be quite the same, would it? Amen? You're like, what are we doing here? We're all standing around looking like idiots. Where's the food? Amen? And the the truth is that, so what's happening is there's more fellowship and there's more light. And the more that we spend time with the Lord, the more of a light we can be to a lost and a dying world. And there needs to be more fellowship with God and more, again, of a deeper relationship with Him. So the the temple is fittingly displayed a greater light and greater fellowship and sadly, the world is walking in darkness. And again, we don't, we don't want to be self-righteous, that we're not in darkness anymore. It's only by God's grace. But again, how selfish would you be if people were walking in the dark off a cliff and you had a halogen light and you didn't shine it in their direction? And that's what God's called us to do. Amen? Not only that, the, the world walks in fear and darkness. Jesus is the light of the world. But then... In him, we all have direct access to the Father. Look what it says there in verse 9 and 10. Furthermore, he made the court of the priest and the great court and doors for the court, and he overlaid the doors with bronze. He set the sea on the right side toward the southwest. Now, there were two courts in the temple. There was the outer court where everyone could come. You could come into the outer court. It's where the multitude would be. It's where they would bring their sacrifices. It's where the golden, it's where the uh, bronze altar was. It's where the lavers were. But then you went through and there was a wall. And inside the wall was the inner court. This is even before you get into the temple itself. And the inner court was only for the priests. Only the priests could go into the inner court, which was closest, closer to the holy place and then the holy of holies. And so only the priests could get close closer to the Lord than the rest of the world, the rest of the multitude. Now, the Bible says, so when we're born again, do you know the Bible says that we become priests? What does a priest do? He intercedes with God on behalf of the people and intercedes with people on behalf of God. Amen? A priest is an intermediary 
who can come directly to the Lord and speak to him on behalf of the people, right? The high priest would bring the sacrifice and spread the blood and the holy of holies. But then he was also the one that would go back and speak to the people on behalf of God. So here's the good news. Because we are born again Christians, we don't have to, there is no outer court for us. Amen? We can come close to God. Now here's the better news. Those priests, only one, some of them would serve in the holy place, not the holy of holies, and they would change out the showbread, and they would make sure that the wicks are lit on the golden lampstand, and they would go make sure that the uh, incense was burning. But only one day a year on the day of atonement could the high priest go through the veil into the holy of holies and sprinkle the blood on the Ark of the Covenant. And there, you know, the ark had the angels on each side. It had the mercy seat inside of it. The, the gold, you know, the um, manna, which is, he's the bread of life. You know, Aaron's rod, he's the great high priest. The Ten Commandments, he's the word. And it was all pointing to Jesus. And so only he could go into that holy place. Now, the veil itself is also a picture of Jesus. Because Jesus is the one that went to the cross of Calvary and when he suffered and died in our place, what happened to the veil? It was ripped. And now you and I and all of us can enter into God's presence anywhere and anytime. And that's why we don't need priests anymore. Amen? You don't need to go tell a priest the sin you made in a box and then have him tell you how many vain repetitions you have to pray to get God to forgive you for sins he already forgave you for on the cross of Calvary. Amen? And you know what? There's a lot of people, if you go into a Catholic church, a lot of times they have a fence up at the front. And it's like the wall between the outer court and the inner court. And only the priests and the altar boys get to go on this side. And again, I'm not just picking on the cat. Anybody who puts anything between you and the Lord is false. Can I get an amen to that? We don't need to go to priests. We don't need to have fences up. We don't need to pray with vain repetition. We can come into the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords while we're driving down the freeway. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? You can get up tomorrow morning and you can spend time in the presence of Almighty God. And why don't we pray more? Amen? The enemy wants us to do anything but. Yeah, I didn't really get to have any time to spend time in the Word this week, but did you see that new 57-hour thing on Netflix? It's amazing, right? <laughs> I just watched this in, you know, 12 seasons or whatever, the latest thing that's out. And again, I'm not saying being entertained isn't wrong, but guys, we can talk to Almighty God. We can open up His love letter to us and read it. When I'm really missing my son, and I had one of those, those nights last night, in my safe, I have about 20 letters he wrote me over the years. And I love to just get those letters out, and some are from 15 years ago, and some are from two years ago. And I'll just reread those letters, and for me, it just, it, it's like I'm spending time with my son again. But isn't that what we do when we open the Bible? We're spending time with our Savior? When you open this up and you read it, you're, you're you're spending time with the Almighty God. You're letting Him speak into your life. And as my good friend Pastor Rob McCoy says, it's the only book, not only do you read it, but it reads you. Amen? It's a book that will transform you from the inside out. And so I'm so thankful that we're not in the outer court. We're not even in the inner court. We've walked through the holy place, and we can go right into the holy of holies because we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And we should be excited about the fact that we don't know a faraway, distant God, but we walk with the creator of the universe. Amen? Heaven's better. Our God is faithful. Anything that tries to push you away from God, you're not good enough. As soon as you do these 5,700 things, I told you about that Jewish man that told me on a sales call. It's 20 years ago, and I've never forgotten it. You saw my Christian fish on the back of my car. And, and forgive me, because this is what he said. As soon as he saw it, he goes, oh, you're a Christian. You know that Jesus was a bastard and his mother was a whore, don't you? I'm like, oh, okay, so this is the conversation we're having today. Because obviously, we're not going to talk about anything else after that statement. And we started talking, and I said, so what, you know, what are you? He said, well, I'm, I'm Jewish. I said, okay, well, so is my Savior. I teach a Jewish book about a Jewish uh, Savior, but okay. I said, how are you getting to heaven? He goes, oh, there's 528 rules I must keep. I go, how are you doing on that program? How's that working out? 
Oh, it's difficult. It's not difficult. It's impossible. I know 10 of them. You're not keeping those. You just blasphemed the name of our Savior when I walked out of my car. So you're not, you're not, you're falling short. So what happens to you when you die? You cannot be in the presence of Almighty God because you're, did you, have you been dragging lambs? You, you're making sacrifices? You keeping all, you keeping all the feasts in the, well, no. Okay. Did you walk more than 10 feet on, on the Sabbath? Did you turn your, did you, did you turn on your oven and light a fire? Cause that's against the law in the old covenant, right? And I just kept saying, bro, here's the good news is I know because of the promise of Almighty God, that when I close my eyes on earth, I'm going to open them up in glory. It's not because anything I've done. It's because he did everything for me that I have the promise of heaven. Amen? And we ought to be jumping up and down about that. Amen? Shouldn't be, we shouldn't be keeping it to ourselves. The old covenant just reminded them that they were separated from God, and they had to continue to make sacrifices to cover their sin, to get them closer to the one who would forgive them. That's the old covenant. The new covenant is intimate fellowship with God right here and right now and forever. Amen? The price has been paid. We have intimate fellowship with the Lord. Now, last week or a couple weeks ago, we talked about one of the things that Solomon asked for from the neighboring king of Tyre is for a great craftsman. And they sent him this man by the name of Huram from Tyre. And he was a man that was very gifted in all metals and fibers and everything else. And he was a great craftsman. And we're going to see some of the things that he did for the temple. And as we read this, this won't mean much to us. But meant a lot to him. When he was doing this for the Lord, he was doing it all with excellence. And when we'll read some of the things he's doing... We'll go, okay, whatever. I don't know how that impacts my life. But my prayer would be that we would look at the story of our lives. And if somebody read the story of our lives, would they see us doing everything we can for the Lord with excellence? If we videotaped you for the next 10 days, everything you said and did, and we threw it up on the screen on Sunday, and, or we put you on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Would they see you praying? Would they see you spending time in the Word? Would they see you sharing your faith? Would they see you being the best worker in the building? Would they see you ministering to your neighbors? Look, we all fall short of that. Amen? But our heart should be that we're not satisfied with that. Now, let's just read this, verse 11 through 17. Here's this man named Huram from Tyre. And it says this, Then Huram made the pots and the shovels and the bowls. So Huram finished doing the work that he was to do for, the, for King Solomon for the house of God. So he was given these tasks to do, and he couldn't just drive over to Home Depot and pick up what he needed. He had raw materials. How in the world do you make a bowl? How in the world do you make a shovel, right? And he's making them out of gold. He's making them out of different iron, right? And so here this man is taking just the elements itself in a primitive time, he didn't have a machine that would just mold it for him, and he had to create it, but he was doing it for the Lord. And so he did it to the best of his ability, and he said he did the work he was to do. He finished doing the work. Here's another good thing. Do your job as unto the Lord. Do everything you can as unto the Lord. Give him the best you have, and by the way, finish what you start. Amen? He's finishing the work. And people in ministry all the time will say, I just can't do it anymore. I'm burnt out. The only way you burn out is if you're doing it in your own strength. Amen? If you're doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit, you won't burn out because God doesn't get tired. Can I get an amen to that? Now, we need to have a Sabbath. We need to rest. We need to take time to do that. That being said, if we're doing it in the power of the Lord, we won't grow weary in well-doing. It says the two pillars and the bowl-shaped capitals are on top of the two pillars. If you heard last week or two weeks ago, we talked about these giant pillars that were in the outer court. One was named Boaz and the other one was Jason and they had these these pillars, and he built them, and he put bowl-shaped capitals, things that went around the top of the pillars, 400 pomegranates for the two networks. Now, you read 400 pomegranates, how in the world do you make pomegranates out of metal and then put them on the tops? But he did it because this is what he was called to do. Two rows of pomegranates for each network to cover the two bowl-shaped capitals 
that were on the pillar. Now, I can imagine if someone told me, now, why do we need pomegranates? And sometimes God wants us to do stuff, and we're like, why do you want me to do that? Right? Can't somebody, is that really necessary? We need to get to the place where when the Holy Spirit prompts us to do it, we don't ask why, we just say, yes, Lord. Can I get an amen? The Lord's calling you and stirring you up to do something, to get out of your comfort zone. Lord, yes, Lord, let me do this. Help me to do it. Help me to be faithful. Notice this, read on, with the 400 pomegranates, and they said he also made carts and the lavers on the carts. So these lavers would push these, uh, these carts would push these lavers around for cleansing, one sea and 12 oxen under it. So remember the sea we were talking about? Now we know who made it. 15 feet wide, seven and a half feet tall, made of bronze with a bunch of sculptured oxen underneath it. And this guy made all of it. Didn't even fully understand what they symbolized, but we don't have to. We just need to obey the Lord. And that's what he did. It says there also, verse 16, also the pots and the shovels and the forks and all the articles, Hiram, his master craftsman, made of burnished bronze for King Solomon for the house of the Lord. Do you think that Hiram's in heaven? I think when he got to heaven, he was bummed out that he dedicated his time to doing stuff for the house of the Lord. But I do believe this, and I've seen it with people at the end of their lives. We look back at how we spent our time and what we... Now look, we need to work. We need to do our jobs unto the Lord. We need to be salt and light wherever we go. But I've never had anybody in their deathbed saying, I, I wish I'd have worked more. You know, I wish I'd golfed more. I, you know, I wish I had watched Barney Fife more. I don't know, right? I wish I'd bench pressed more. I wish I'd done that. No, it's all, you know what it always is? If someone's a believer, it's always the same two things. I wish I'd spent more time with my family, and I wish I'd done more to serve the Lord. Because those are the things that will go with us into eternity. Amen? It's our relationship with the Lord, and it's people. And we, if we're too busy for people, we've missed out on what God's called us to do. And it says... You know, he made the pots, the shovels, for, and he made it for King Solomon and the house of the Lord. And in the plain of Jordan, the king had him cast into clay molds between Sukkoth and Zerida. Now, he, he had him build these things out in a, uh, he's out in the plain and he's making all these things that are going to go into the temple. Now, what's interesting is just recently they found the place where they believe all these things were made all these thousands of years ago. And it's a recent archaeological find near the Jabbok River that meets the Jordan River and the eastern side of the Jordan, about 37 miles away from Jerusalem. So he's building all these articles and he's fashioning them all together. Then he's transporting them and bringing them to the house of the Lord. The point number four there is, may we always give God our absolute best, do everything with excellence and for his glory. May we finish what we start. May we finish strong. I would never, and I, and, and I can honestly say this, it's only by God's grace. I would never get up to teach a Bible study unprepared. I would just call Tim and let him teach unprepared. <laughs> but I, you know, I would just never, I, I got that dropped on me a few times. When I was the assistant pastor and the pastor didn't feel well, he'd call me five minutes before the message, but I knew to be prepared, have something with me, but you know, I think that's, that's the way it should be with anything we do for the Lord, right? Now, again, if we're, if we're in a situation where we couldn't prepare, God will show up. Amen? But the point is, if we're going to do something for the Lord, let's do it with excellence. Amen? If we're going to teach in the children's ministry, don't show up five minutes before church and say, what was the lesson again? And who, am, I, am I up this week? We should be praying for the kids by name. We should be preparing that. I know that nobody teaches the men's study in this church without being prepared. Right, Johnny? <laughs> we don't just get up and just wing it for Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? And I also believe that part of that preparation is prayer. You know, I do this almost every morning, and I just pray for divine appointments, and I just say, Lord, yes, Lord, your servant hears. Use me for your kingdom today. Give me a divine appointment. Let me share my faith with somebody. Let me encourage somebody that, does, that knows you. Let me share the truth with somebody that doesn't. I pray for my wife before she leaves the house every morning, that God would fill her fresh with the Holy Spirit and use her mightily on this campus, and the joy of the Lord would impact the kids and the parents and the teachers, and then I pray for each of my children, then I pray for my co 
coworkers, and then I pray for the people on my prayer list, and then I pray for all the green, prayer, the green sheets of prayer that are given to me. And I'll tell you what, I'm ready to go out and see what God's going to do when we go out into the world having prayed for God to use us for his glory. Amen? That's preparation. Amen? But if we wake up, you know, when the alarm goes off and we watch the, the bad news for 15 minutes and we take a quick shower and then we go out into the world and somebody cuts us off in the freeway, we can have an ungodly response. Amen? We want to prepare for the day by spending time in the presence of the Lord. You become like who you hang out with. That's a good reason to be hanging out with Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? Finally, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Everybody has something that is your priority. We all have priorities. We all have things that, that we invest most of our time in. And there are things that we have to invest our time in. We need to invest our time in work. We need to invest our time in our marriage, our family, our children. All those things are important. They're wonderful. But you find out what your real importance, what's the most important thing in your life, where you focus your passion, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is God on the list? Just think about this yourself. Is he the priority and passion of your life? Is your relationship with Jesus more important to you than anything else? I'm, pray for me. My work situation right now is crazy. And the reason that it is, is my company merged with another company a few years back. And, and now we're selling a bunch of new products I've never sold before. And our company's growing but we had double the sales force, so they got rid of most of the salespeople. And now when people retire, they don't replace them. And in the last couple of years, well, in the last three months, they have, we've had three people in my territory leave, and guess who's doing all their accounts plus mine? So I've got all their accounts, all my accounts, plus I happen to pastor a church. I got a beautiful wife I like to spend time with. I love to pray. So, so for me right now, it's like you give up sleep. You do whatever's necessary to get it done. Amen. But what I'm not going to do is sacrifice time with the Lord. I'm going to do my job as unto the Lord. God has blessed it. He's faithful. I've been there 34 years. I still love my job. It's the grace of God. But that being said, opening your Bible should be a get-to, not a have-to. Amen? Spending time. I, you know what? I tell people this all the time. God knew that I needed to be in the Bible 40 to 50 hours a week, so he made me a pastor. There you go. You know why? Because Sundays and Thursdays come real regular around here. Can I get an amen to that? It's coming. I don't care how much accounts I have. I don't care if I worked a 15-hour day. Sunday's coming. You better get to studying, and I better make sure I don't study all day on Saturday and not spend time with my wife. So it means you do what's necessary. Again, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Amen? For 20-something years, I studied all night on every Saturday night because I didn't want to miss my kids' Little League games. And people would tell me, you study, you don't sleep on Saturday nights. No. And I'd go home in the morning, I'd, I'd study all night, go take a shower, go to church and teach, sometimes two services, depending on where I was. And then I would go home and take a nap. And people would say, I feel sorry for you. I was sleeping and you were studying. I'm like, I was hanging out with Almighty God and you were napping. I feel sorry for you. Can I get an amen? It just depends on what the priorities are. It doesn't mean that there won't be times when you're weary. And we do need to rest. And my wife says, I'm guilty of not resting enough. And she's right. But you know what? Look what it says here. Look at the last portion of this. As he's been, we see this picture of the working on the temple, the bringing all the things into the temple. It says thus, verse 18 said, and Solomon had all these articles made in such great abundance that the weight of the bronze was not determined. Here's what he's saying. They made so much for the Lord, they couldn't even count it all. So much was given for service of the Lord that nobody could count it. And this is kind of how it should be. We give to the Lord and we don't count how much we give. We're just faithful to give it to the Lord. Because guys, you know what? The stuff that we give for the kingdom of God will outlast this life. Amen? Have a greater impact on the world. And again, I'm not... God knows our motive for giving. Are we giving because we love him? Because we recognize already what all he's done for us? Or do we give to him thinking we might be able to manipulate him and giving us more stuff back? Uh, if I gave the Lord everything I have, I couldn't begin to give him one millionth of what he's already given me. How about you? And so we need to give with that right heart. And notice it says that they gave so much, they couldn't even weigh it all. There was so much done for the service of the Lord 
They couldn't even count it. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. My dad was a pastor for 60 years, and my dad was my favorite Bible teacher I've ever heard in my life, and I know I'm biased. And I, would, I just would love to hear my dad teach, and I would, my dad was the most generous person I've ever met. We always had people living in our house, my mom and dad both, that weren't related to us. And I never heard them talk about it costing them anything. My dad was CEO of a company, pastoring a church, working full-time, had a family, house was open, phone rang, he answered it, ministered to people, and, I, and, and he was never, I was never tired. I always look at my dad, I'm like, dad, he goes, hey, son, doing kingdom work. It's for the kingdom of God, it's going to outlast this life. And I don't think my dad's in heaven right now, bummed out that he dedicated so much of his life to serving Jesus, amen? But I do believe there are people there that wish they had done more that would impact eternity. Notice it says there in verse 19, Thus Solomon had all the, fur- the furnishings made for the house of God, the altar of gold, the tables of which was with showbread, the lampstands with the lamps of pure gold, to burn in a prescribed manner in front of the inner sanctuary with flowers and lamps and the wick trimmers of gold, of purest gold. Now see, none of this happens if people aren't giving. And because people gave, they were able to do all that God had called them to do. You know, God loves a cheerful giver, and where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. A truly giving heart does not give in hopes of getting more, but gives from a heart of worship and thanksgiving for what God has already given us. Where it says flowers and lamps, uh, some of the commentators said it also means like flora and fauna, and, and like that God had they gave everything to the Lord, and they even brought the plants that everything was for God. And what a reminder that everything we have comes from the Lord. Amen? I mean, like the Garden of Eden. And you know what's going to be better than the Garden of Eden? Heaven. Amen? Because there's not going to be a tree of the knowledge of good and evil in there. It's just going to be all the good stuff. Amen? And we're going to be able to be in the presence of the Lord and walk with him in the cool of the day. And then it says in verse 22, the trimmers and the bowls and the ladles and the censers of pure gold as for the entry of the sanctuary, it's inner doors to the most holy place and the doors of the main hall of the temple were gold. We're reading stuff and each one of these things was being able to be made because somebody gave and then somebody used their gift to create it And then it was all brought together, and it was all for the glory of God, and it's really not about the people that served, but the God that was being served. Now, I want to end with this. I'm going to take a couple minutes on this. As we look at all the details of the tabernacle and the temple over the last four chapters, the building of it, we didn't even talk about, like even the coverings had angels woven into them. Uh, the veil had angels, women, all these different beautiful colors, and all the colors point to Jesus, and all the stuff that was made in a tabernacle, and then the thing about all the sacrifices that took place there. Every day, sin offerings being brought, peace offerings being brought, free will offerings being brought, constant, constant, ongoing, never stopping, and all of that in hopes of just being able to stand on the outside when the one guy got to get close to the Lord on the Day of Atonement. And all the things that had to take place and and all the rules and rituals they had to keep in hopes of getting close to the Lord. And it would just be exhausting. All the animals that were sacrificed, all the blood that was shed, the burnt offerings, the sin offerings, the peace offerings, the guilt offerings, the drink offerings. By the way, there's seven different feasts that took place and times of offering, and they all point to Jesus. The first four all pointed to things that Jesus has already done. Passover. Passover was an annual feast. Passover was when they remembered the blood of the lamb in the shape of a cross and the angel of death passed over and the people were delivered out of bondage in Egypt. And what happened on Passover? Jesus was crucified. Amen? So Passover, the blood of the lamb in the shape of a cross was always pointing to Jesus. Right after that is the feast of unleavened bread. That's uh, Unleaven is a picture of sin. And what did the cross do? It removed the sin from all of mankind that have been forgiven. Amen? And then you have the Feast of First Fruits. And guess what? That was the Sunday after Passover. And what happened on the Sunday after Jesus was crucified? What happened? He rose from the dead. 
The Feast of First Fruits that they were celebrating for thousands of years was always pointing to Jesus' resurrection. And then after that, they had the Feast of Weeks, which is known as Pentecost, that took place 50 days after the Feast of First Fruits. And what happened 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead? What happened? Holy Spirit was given. Guys, all these feasts that they were celebrating for thousands of years were always pointing to Jesus. He is the fulfillment of it all. None of them were fulfilled by Buddha or Muhammad or L. Ron Hubbard or Gavin Newsom or anybody else you want to put in that list. All the false prophets, amen? Now, there's three more feasts that they celebrated. The next one was the Feast of Trumpets. What do you think that might point to? The second coming of, the, of Christ, right? right? The rapture and then, and then the second coming of the Lord. Then you had the, the Day of Atonement, and that was speaking of, uh, that's a time when there, were, there was redemption for the children of Israel. And guess what's going to happen during that, that uh, tribulation time and then into the millennial kingdom? We're going to see Israel get saved in a radical way. Amen? And then finally, the last one is the Feast of Tabernacles, and that's a picture of the millennial kingdom. When we will rule and reign with him forever. So four of the feasts have been fulfilled. Three are coming. The first four took place in the spring. The last three took place in the fall. There was a gap in the middle. And guess what? It all points to Jesus. Does the Bible rock or what? Amen? And so when we look at the old covenant and we look at all that they had to do trying to get near to the Lord, how blessed are we that we don't have to do any of it. Amen? We don't have to do any of it. All those feasts, all those rituals, all those rules, all those sacrifices, all that blood being shed, all that, all that stuff that had to be done, the, the maintaining of the temple, all the stuff that took place. Why don't we have to worry about it anymore? Because Jesus died on the cross. And when he died on the cross, he paid for all all of it. Thousands of years of blood, of blood and bulls and goats and rams, all of it, one drop of his blood paid for all of it. All that stuff pointing forward, Jesus was the answer. Every feast, Jesus is the answer. Everything in the old covenant was covering their sin, and Jesus came and he cleansed our sin once and for all. It's been covered forever. Can I get an amen to that? All points to Jesus. You know what? Jesus took away the need for all of it. No more sacrifices, no more rites, no more feasts, no more separation. Because of Jesus, we can simply come, we can enter into the Holy of Holies. The veil's been torn. May we never, ever take it for granted. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. What a great and awesome God we serve. Can't imagine living this life without him and why we're bummed out about things going on around us we're the most blessed people who've ever lived on this planet. And we are because we're closer to his return than ever. We have the completed revelation. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And so thank you, Jesus. So what can wash away my sin? There's no access to God's presence without a sacrifice. No one can approach the Lord without first being made clean. How does that happen? Through the shed blood of Christ on Calvary. He cleanses us. Only those that walk in the light can have fellowship with the Lord. The world's walking in darkness, and we shouldn't be surprised, and we need to shine the light of Jesus on them. May we always give God our absolute best. Give him all the, you know, for everything for his excellence, for his glory. And then finally, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. One drop of Jesus' blood washed away the need for the old covenant. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. You are a great and an awesome God. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being your sons and daughters adopted into your family. We thank you, Lord, for pouring out your Holy Spirit upon us. We thank you for sending your son to suffer and die that we might have eternal life. We thank you, Lord, that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We thank you, Lord, that you've promised us you'll never leave us nor forsake us. Lord, we thank you that you promised that you're coming again. And Lord, that we will see you in the sky. Lord, we'll be joined with you, and then we'll come back and rule and reign with you for a thousand years. Lord, we thank you that if we die before you come, that when we close our eyes on earth, we'll open them up in glory. We thank you for the promise because you sent your son to suffer and die. 
I will see my son. We will see our loved ones again that know you because you died in our place. Lord, we are so blessed to be your children, to be adopted into your family. We love you. We praise you. We worship you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said...